Welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. I'm Tyler. I'm Bo. I'm Aaron. Last week, we spoke about intergenerational connectedness within Wakanda. And this week, we're going to speak about our favorite topic, Tolkien white guys. Does everyone know the Tolkien white guys meme? Because that's going to kind of fall flat if they don't know it. uh, I mean, like... so, so the only reason why you might not catch it, of course, is because Andy Serkis, like right. you didn't know who he was because he's been so many various CGI characters. Like, was this, was this the first time that he was actually an on-screen character? I don't think it was the first. It might, it, it might be the most, it's definitely the most famous outside of Avengers Age of Ultron. Well, which, all right, but yeah, same character though, right? So I mean, like. You know, so obviously Andy Serkis has made a unique name for himself in the industry as portraying a lot of CGI characters. Uh, of course, he was most recently uh, Snoke in the uh, the Star Wars uh, franchise. He was uh, Caesar from yeah, the Planet, Planet of, the of the Apes franchise. And of course, the one that kind of started it all, he was Gollum, uh, a.k.a. Smeagol from the Lord of the Rings franchise. And so to actually have uh, the the actor that portrayed Smeagol, that portrayed Gollum, sitting with the actor that portrayed uh, the Hobbit himself, Bilbo Baggins, once again telling secrets in the dark, it was kind of a bit of a, you know, a nod to the uh, <laughs> Tolkien aspect of who they were. Yeah, we can't forget. I mean, we're such huge Star Wars fans. He played Supreme Leader Snoke. So. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he was a C- CGI guy. So anyway, yeah, we're talking about the white guys. You know, what's interesting because it says here that Andy Serkis was actually in The Prestige. The Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige. It, no I'm way. looking at his filmography. He was in 13 going Prestige on 30. Is a fantastic movie, too. He was in. Oh, absolutely. He yeah. was. Uh, did he play King Kong? I think he played yeah, King he, Kong. Yeah, he did play King Kong. Yeah, in the um in the remake that uh, Peter Jackson did, which makes sense, of course, because Peter Jackson. Huh. Yeah, that's. Yo, that's crazy. So we're talking about these characters because. Was he the bird in the Prestige? <laughs> <laughs> Bo cutting up, man. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like Andy what Circus, CGI character. No, Andy Circus played the words abracadabra. He was like, the words. He was the words abracadabra. Man, he owned it too. I mean, like you didn't even think someone could like be abracadabra, but there he was. It's crazy because when we first heard about Black Panther, there was this huge question, especially those of us who are Black Panther fans from the comics. There was this question about: Are they going to do it justice? And so one of the things that Marvel has not done previously is really center black characters in the MCU. Now, we did have some. We obviously had Rhodey. We had Falcon. But we didn't necessarily have a centering of a black character from a black perspective. And so the question is, man, what are they going to do? What would they do? How would they pull this off? And so the first great sign was they uh, signed Ryan Coogler. And so when they signed Ryan Coogler of Fruitvale Station, of Creed, we're like, okay, this is going to be a great movie because Coogler is just very gifted at bringing together culture, stringing together his past with this broader narrative of African-American life. But then beyond that, we thought it was really questionable who they would cast. Are we going to get 
the Avengers in Black Panther, Black Panther featuring the Avengers. And I think Marvel smartly, Kevin Feige smartly thought about that. And they said, you know what? We can't do that. So then came the report that over 90% of the cast is going to be black or African of African descent. That was stunning. That was when you said, huh, okay, well, this is going to be interesting. Oh, so no Captain America, no Iron Man, no Winter Soldier, even though we know he's in Wakanda. Hmm, okay, that's very interesting. And we got two main characters. We got Everett Ross, Agent Ross, and then we got Ulysses Claw. Claw was expected. Ross was expected. And so it basically evened out to where you thought, well, we have no surprising white cameos. This is very interesting. When you heard over 90% of the cast is of African descent, Aaron, what did you think? Was that encouraging to you? Were you like, oh, they're going to make it too black? Is that even possible? No, it was it was super encouraging. And it was like it was this level of anticipation, like what is this going to look like? Like how is this going to play out? And of course, it played out masterfully. Um, the 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 way that um, the fact that it was unprecedented, you know, for a movie this big, or particularly for a, a movie coming out of the MCU to be this black, and and also not just black in terms of uh black representation and people of african descent in terms of the cast but even in terms of the substance of the movie right. being unapologetically black and so right. dignifying yeah that part that part was it was it was it was awesome i loved it every second of it so were you surprised bill with how much or how little ross and claw had screen time in this movie because it's very interesting how they were they were both kind of secondary characters, which we'll talk about. There's some argument about their how important they are in each, you know, of their segments. But they were really, they really took a back seat in all ways to black characters. Man, I felt so underrepresented in this film. I mean, like, mm, good. I'm just so <laughs> good. Just, to, I'm just kidding. Don't um, scare me like that, Colonel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's interesting because you know they could have just as easily gone more of a Thor route. Cause you know, you think about black Panther, if, if, you know, on the surface, it's like, well, yeah, if it's not over 90% black, then it's not black Panther. Cause you know, he is an African King. His story takes place in an African nation. It is separate from the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. It'd be, it'd be weird. If they, but at the same time, they could have gone the route that Thor went, which is taking the hero out of his home right, and kind of injecting right. him into the familiar and making him kind of the outsider trying to adjust to, you know, what, what we would kind of perceive as our, the, the normal norm, normative nature of our everyday life would have been an absolute disaster. That would have been, that would have been a huge bomb. I mean, that would have been, that would have destroyed like, we wouldn't live in the world we live in right now. If they had done that. <laughs> no, you know, I would have never perceived that they would have taken that except in looking back at it retrospectively. Uh, but even that just seems like such a foreign concept because of what we got and how well it worked. And so Everett Ross as an agent, we were introduced to him, I believe it was in the second Avengers film. 
right? We Age of Ultron. Yep. We're introduced to him there and Ulysses Claw as well. Or am I thinking of Avengers Civil, Civil War? Civil War. He was actually in Civil or War. Captain first. America Civil War. I call it Avengers Civil War because it basically is the second Avengers movie in my mind. You know, we canceled Ultron. Well, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't cancel him. We just put him on hold. So, <laughs> uh, so that's the thing. Uh, Claw was actually first introduced in Age of Ultron, Ross specifically in Civil War. And so is Ulysses Claw the most iconic Black Panther villain? Does I'm, he supplant Killmonger? In our, in our minds, from a comic book standpoint, from a comic book standpoint, is he the greatest Black Panther villain? Wait, well, hang on. You said iconic. You said most. Well, I, I, well I'll, I'll, I use two words interchangeably. Right. We'll go with most iconic. Is Claw the most iconic Black Panther villain? Um. So, uh, so to compare him to Killmonger, I would say first of all, if those are the two options, then yes, Claw. I would mm-hmm. say is far above Killmonger in terms of being more iconic. I would actually stack him up against somebody like Umbaku. Um, in terms of kind of the, mm. the depth of the, the lore that's there. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, honestly, if you look at how Black Panther has been portrayed in other media, in cartoons, and, you know, even, you know, to some extent in the films, obviously now, but like typically the go-to is going to be either Claw or Umbaku as kind of the introductory story of who Black Panther is. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because I think Claw as as his his story of origin goes it's it's interesting that he's the son of a of a nazi you know and so he's the son of a nazi and i found it particularly interesting how he's always chasing vibranium and so it's like he's always chasing black culture you know (laughs) he's always chasing it and i actually love how he was portrayed in the film because he was very urban like culturally trying so hard he's got a mixtape yeah he's got a mixtape he's got a soundcloud link the way he carries himself like so over the top and it's just man he was like when he was walking too like throwing his shoulders back yeah i actually and you guys can talk about i actually loved that i thought it was dope to have the over the top wild villain on one side and then the calculated villain who's undermining him slowly but surely oh yeah getting to the real place where he wanted to get using him and then when the time came discarding of him and moving on with this quest not even mentioning him really anymore Hmm. but as as you think about claw did that portrayal on the screen take you take you off guard yeah i mean his so in the club right just that 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 banter with 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 he and ross and just then the chase, right? He's like, well, we gotta have some music, you know, like, you know, <laughs> exactly. and, and then, and then in the interrogation room, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. is just so over the top, man, but mm-hmm. it works though. So it's not, he doesn't portray it in a way that just kind of wears on you to where like, all right, man, this is a little obnoxious. I mean, you, you get it. Like he, he works it, man. And it, and it plays well. You know, I, honestly, I, I was thinking specifically about the fact that our first introduction to him is not Black Panther. It's it's specifically uh, Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. And I actually found the first introduction to the character in Age of Ultron far more jarring than fleshing him out in Black Panther. Hmm. Like, even really? though, yeah, even though there are some differences, obviously, in, in who he was then, because we just saw him very briefly and then get his arm cut off. And then he's like, all right, off to the side until Black Panther comes along. Um, but because he is portrayed so drastically and visually 
different from who he is in the comics. Right. right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I was like, who is this? What is this guy? And then, so once we actually got kind of an exploration in black Panther and they kind of flesh out what they had established, I was like, Oh, interesting. Cause they do almost make him like charmingly hateful. You know what I mean? Like you hate him, but like, you could kind of like hang out with him for a little while yeah. while you're actively hating him, but you're kind of enjoying <laughs> it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, what I found to be really deft by Ryan Coogler. And if you're not paying attention, you have to watch this multiple times to kind of get this sense. But Claw is appropriating black culture in the way they carries himself and his mixtape or whatever. But at, at the end, right before Killmonger eliminates him, what does he say? They're savages. Mm. Yeah, they're not gonna say they're savages, and it's it's that juxtaposition of he holds this intense hatred and disdain for Wakanda, but he loves their culture. Yeah, like he loves he loves to be over the top. Hey, hey, come here, come here. You can go, you can go. It's fine, no problem. It's like he shoots up, bro. Why didn't you shoot? It's like make us look like amateurs. We gotta look like amateurs. (laughs) (laughs) That's clever, but at the same time, you can tell he's trying to come across. And then all his bodyguards, none of them are black. Mm. <laughs> right all his bodyguards are white and you just those are the other white guys that's the other 10 percent right there and you're just looking at it, you're like bruh this is really interesting how he's carrying himself and i thought that was deft how they were able to basically say no this dude has problematic views like he's a racist for sure right yeah. but he's gonna appropriate black culture yeah. and then make it seem cool and likable so I, I do, you know, like, it's great because I remember like last season we were really good about starting off with like uh, source material and then going in. And this season it's been more like going in like, oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. The source oh, yeah, material. source, source, yeah, source, yeah. 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 But, uh, but so Claw from the comics is like literally nothing like his counterpart uh, other than he is also uh, r- rather racist. Uh, but beyond that, <laughs> beyond that, he's a dude in a red like bodysuit. Mm-hmm. Whose hands look like satellites, I think is probably the best way I could kind mm-hmm. of like verbally describe it. And what you're looking at when you look at him is essentially he has become living vibrations. Like he is essentially like living sound, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the suit that he wears is to kind of contain that, and the satellite hands are to kind of shoot right. this vibrate. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense, right? We talked about in previous episodes how there is kind of this trope of having the villain be kind of equal to the hero, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's also the other trope of having the villain be the antithesis of the hero, to be the exact opposite. And so if you think about who T'Challa is as someone wearing all vibranium, and vibranium obviously absorbs that energy uh, and absorbs the uh, the vibrations. So to have a villain who is all about the vibrations mm-hmm. and also all about the vibranium and, and working it against itself um, he kind of ends up being that Joker to the Batman, so to right. speak. And so you kind of can, from that standpoint, see a little bit of where the influence came from to be such a uh, charismatic fool to some extent. And his introduction wasn't in Black Panther, it was in Fantastic Four. So it's really, That's right. it's fascinating to kind of see how he interacts and to see that there's crossover. And so when I saw him in Avengers Age of Ultron, it kind of made sense that this is our first gateway. And, and I have to talk about that moment because as soon as they talked about you know, they were looking up the origin of the vibranium and then they said, what is, they couldn't say it. And, you know, I screamed out Wakanda real loud in the theater and people <laughs> looked at me strange. And my wife was like, chill. 
Yeah, but Bruce, it was just like w- Wakanda. Yeah, w- like, <laughs> bro, you better get you you better fix your mouth, homie. <laughs> but it was like it was like our first introduction into like, oh, this is this is opening us up to the Wakanda world indirectly because we're seeing Claw and then we're seeing him get his hand cut off or his arm cut off. Right. And then that's gonna lead us into Black mm. Panther. And then we have to talk as well about Everett Ross. Within the source material, Everett Ross was introduced and written by Christopher Priest. And Christopher Priest used Everett Ross in a very particular way. So Priest says that he based Everett Ross off of Chandler from Friends. Oh, wow. And so he based Everett Ross off of Chandler from Friends, and then he drew him like a mix of um, Michael J. Fox and someone, I think it was, and I think Matthew Perry. Like, he kind of drew him with that in mind. And so Priest includes... Everett Ross to make sure that Black Panther doesn't become a quote unquote black book, a book that he wants it to become a book that has crossover appeal. So he includes Everett Ross in there as kind of what the the white comic book readers would be thinking to kind of like embody them. And it's an interesting, it's a thin line between that inclusion and like you're you're acquiescing you know you're hmm. kind of you're assimilating here yeah it's a very thin line like the way he's written run yeah the priest run it's 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 strange and i think that's why people like hudlin's run better even though i think priest run is better than hudlin's but i think that's why people say oh well Reg- Re- reginald hudlin it's it's black it's super black and and, and it's like it's kind of over the top and i kind of don't like it i kind of like priest run a little bit better but the way in which Ross refers to Black Panther refers to to T'Challa as his client, right? Oh, he's my client. He's the king, you know. <laughs> but oh yeah, you know who are you? Oh, I'm the emperor of useless white boys. Like that's why we refer. To, it's like this is a very interesting way to write him. And Aaron, you were talking about how Ross in in Priest Run is an interesting gateway into kind of some broader conversations. And you said it told you something about the writer as well. Yeah. So I didn't know Priest's ethnicity prior to reading, uh, to, to beginning his run of Black Panther. And the way that Everett Ross was portrayed and his, 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 his dialogue and even just kind of like his, his, uh, some of the comments he would make, I was like, Priest is Black. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's got to be like Priest. Is, he, he's black. And and I thought the way that Priest used his, um, the way that he wrote Ross, I thought it was smart. Hmm. I thought it was smart because he, sometimes Ross would make these comments that would almost kind of toe this line to where that if the writer would have been white, I would have been like, hey, what, what are you? Yeah, what, 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 what you, you talking doing? about? What, yeah. what you talking about? You know, but and that's why I was like, no, there's no way. <laughs> like mm. this writer has to be black. Like he's he's got to be black. And then you see what what Priest is doing. And here's what I find that's interesting about that that in particular. So many times within the context of whether uh, comics or just media, period, uh, black people have not had control over how we have been portrayed. Right. And so our portrayal has always been at the mercy of white writers and producers mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and what have you, right? And so to have a white character mm. at the mercy of a black writer 
and his portrayal, which doesn't disrespect Ross. I think the element that Ross brings into it, it's comedic. He's always seems like he's, he's, he's in the source material. Like he's, he's, you know, in over his head, right. you know, like lost. barely had a, like, really like lost. lost, you know, and they introduce subtly those hints in the movie, you know, you know, there are certain points in the movie where particularly, for instance, when T'Challa is being brought brought back, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're praying. He's like, he's kind of, you know, and before that, the iconic getting shouted yeah. down <laughs> by, right, right. by, by Baku. <laughs> you know, and, and so I, I thought I thought that w- w- what Priest did with that and, and to see some of those elements come to like those hints in the movie, he was in no way like central. He was in no way like the savior or anything like that. I thought it was, I thought it was masterful. Mm, that's interesting. Cause I I've actually heard Ross referred to in this film as a white savior. Is that, is that a fair criticism or is that a fair commentary? Nah, nah. man. Nah. I think I've heard someone say that, that they weren't, he wasn't a savior. The white people in the film weren't saviors. They were co-conspirators. Like they were, mm. they were just being used by black characters to accomplish whatever ends that were necessary. Yeah. He was kind of the extension of Shuri's will. And, and in as much as at that point mm. he was actually engaging, right? Like up until then, um, you know, so it's, it's interesting when, when you're introduced to Ross in the film, not necessarily in the franchise, there is kind of this odd camaraderie mm-hmm. between he and Black Panther in the sense that they did one thing together. Right. But now Ross kind of presumes a lot in their relationship. You yeah. know what I mean? Ross presumes that they're on equal footing or and he also condescends to him and is like, well, I know, you know, you are you out here and you run around a cat suit. Yeah, so I could I could blow all that up for you. It's like, yo, yeah, who yeah. are you talking? What are you talking right. about? It's like blow up to who and why, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and to what end? Like, literally, that has no impact of you know <laughs> on Wakanda, which is the only thing that uh, Black Panther cares about. But you know, it's interesting. So as as kind of the, that juxtaposition comes in when when Ross is brought out of his world and into the world of Wakanda. Um, in kind of somewhat violent means, right? Like he is literally shot. He, if he, if he has a white savior moment, it's literally him taking the bullet for Nakia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in much the same way that Bucky enters in Wakanda, there's kind of this responsibility that, that, you know, the, the heroes feel like, Oh, well, you know, I, he took a bullet for me. We can't just mm-hmm. let him die. Let's bring him in and everything else. And so sure he gets giddy cause she gets another white boy to fix another broken white boy. Yeah. To fix. That, that to me, I feel like everything was too precise for him to be considered a white savior. Everything was so precise in the way that they referred to him. So he, he was shot, but it was almost like, he's not our issue. He's not our problem. Like we're going to, it's like, well, you know, humanity says we need to come and it's, you know, and, and it's like, Hey, well, well, see, we're collaborating. He looks at Okoye and says, see, this is collaboration, when really he's being played the whole time. Right, right, right. You know, and, and so it's just very, very specific ways in which they talk about him. And obviously the iconic line, don't scare me like that colonizer. And then she's, he's looking, he's like, wow, that's vibranium, that's this. She's like, obviously. Like, of course it is. Like, wow, he's marveling at the tech. And this teenager is schooling him, you know, it's like, come on, how do you get saved? When you say savior, I don't know what you mean by that. When you say, was he helping the cause in the end? Yeah, I guess. But Shuri was able to lead him. Shuri's so smart 
and intelligent that she was fighting people while directing him yeah. what to do step yeah. by step. I'm like, huh? Like, yeah. who's the savior well, here? And like, the other aspect, too, is this movie could have had a white savior if it wanted. It had one camping yeah. out on the sidelines the entire movie. Like, Bucky. In, yeah. in fact, Coogler, I think, even talks specifically about, you know, having to wrestle with the fact that T'Challa has in his, you know, in his toolkit, in his toolbox, like one of the most like lethal assassins on the planet. And in the midst of like this coup that he's dealing with, like, why wouldn't he go to Bucky? But the reality was, is that like just the optics alone of Bucky coming in and sniping away Wakandans just isn't going to happen. That's exactly. not going to be in this movie. Exactly. No, don't. Oh my God. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? Oh my God. So that's the no. thing like that. That's, that's smart, the white man. savior. If you, if that narrative was going to be there, like the components were there and this movie and Coogler specifically didn't go there. They intentionally didn't go there with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, personally it, it would be dope to see uh winter soldier versus Killmonger though. Like, I mean, I would love to see, but you know, principles T'Challa can't staff that one out. He's got to take that one himself. Yeah. But I'm just saying if I could see Bucky and Killmonger just swing at each other, just do a little bit. Cause I feel like Bucky gets the edge. I don't know what Bucky. I don't know, that's kind of weird. Like would Bucky beat T'Challa and then it's, I don't know. I feel like those three are kind of equal and it's kind of a coin flip between them. It, de- it yeah. depends on who Bucky is now. Like, uh, you right. know, it's so uh, appropriate now that actually that we talk about Bucky and we include him in this episode, all things considered. But like he, before his mind got freed, was literally a weapon. He was a living weapon. Yes. Uh, and, you know, Hydra was pointing him in directions and he was literally doing what they said. He didn't have any compassion. He didn't like, he didn't recognize like the humanity of anybody he was going after. He was literally just doing a job. He was a tool. Hmm. And as such, he was a very effective tool. Right. So I'm actually wondering if, cause all we got a chance to do to see him fight was very briefly in infinity war mm-hmm. while he's fighting, you know, weird aliens that are killing themselves. I don't know that <laughs> Bucky now is as effective a fighter as he was when he was brainwashed. Nah, you tripping, you tripping, you tripping. You don't tripping. Think, uh, I'm I think, just saying. I think, I think as nah. long as he has a cause, right? Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, you're absolutely right. He was, he was a weapon, right? And, but it was mindless. It was programmed. But I think that even more effective is for his mind to be free and to have a cause. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I, I would yeah. like to see that yes. matchup. Yes. Yeah. I think Bucky, they they sacrificed Bucky's screen time. I just think that's what happened. They had too many, they had too many other more important characters in Infinity War, and they sacrificed Bucky's screen time to show what he could really do now, based upon the fact that it's like we'll we'll deal with him later. I think everybody that got reduced screen time, including Black Panther, which I had a problem with, which we talked about before, with Bucky, everybody, that's just a, a wink wink, nudge, nudge. We'll get to them later. Yeah. Everybody else got to die. Yeah. They got to have their moment, then they die, then you get them. Interesting. But you know what? The same theme that we're talking about in terms of Ross not being a central figure, I don't think he was marginalized, but I think he was definitely peripheral. <laughs> you you right. know what I'm saying? What I loved, I, I, got, I got that same feeling when Shuri is breaking down technology to Banner. Yeah. Oh, why didn't you just, (laughs) you know, and and Banner's like, you know, now, now, you know what I'm saying? Like, even like, even Banner there is like, we can, you guys can, can do that. Like he was stumped. And he's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. I think, I think Wakanda, I think it's obvious that the black white dynamics are obvious, but I think Wakandans 
are putting Americans in their place. Oh, yeah. I think that's like a big part of it because Ross represents, he's a government. If Ross wasn't from the government, it would be different. That's why I think they're woofing at him. That's why I think, because it's like, oh, he's an American. He's coming to take over. Nah, you don't do that around here. Like, I don't think it's just, oh, he's a white man and they're marginalizing the white people. Nah, nah, I don't think it's that simple. Yeah. I think it's, he represents a regime of people that comes in, conquers, colonizes, takes over, and then pushes us to the margins while stealing what we've worked hard for. And they're like, you're not going to do that. Here. So he, he yeah. kind of represents essentially three different aspects of that, right? Like one is like the American kind of governmental entity that mm-hmm. you're talking about. The other is very much kind of the, the, the white, you know, mindset mm-hmm. entering into Wakanda. But then the other is the American, not governmental American and not even necessarily white American, just like the, the American viewer. Like he's asking the questions hmm. that the uninitiated are asking. Like if you don't, if you're not familiar That's with good, Wakanda, bro. if you're not familiar with vibranium, like as Shuri is like explaining to him, she's really explaining it to the audience. Yes. Like, right. so he kind of ends up in this uh, unique position where he represents to some extent a threat, but then at the other hand, it also, he also represents us. And so that also kind of builds it in that to some extent, we as the non Wakandan viewer, do represent a bit of a threat in as much as we are learning about, you know, Wakanda, uh, its people and its technology. The other aspect too, is that, you know, there is a, there's a, a heroic humility of Ross to, you know, if you think about what his journey was, he wakes up in Wakanda, he gets called colonizer to his face. Mm -hmm. He gets barked down every, you know, every Mm -hmm. single chance, like he, he tries to step up, but at the end of the day, he still is about to risk his life, you know, to, to save Wakanda. He's like, you know, put me back into the machine. And so there is kind of a, a humbling heroic nature to him in that he's not on the battlefield. He doesn't get the hero I think he was just doing shots. what was right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think it was. I get what you're saying. So, so remember the, at the end of the movie, all right, when he's asked, T'Challa's asked a question, what can a third world country, you know, of, oh, right, yeah. you, you know, offer, have to offer yeah. the world, right? So then there's a shot of, of Ross in the back and he's smiling. Why? Because he knows now. So there was the cat suit um, comment that he makes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the way he talked to T'Challa in the club in Korea. There's the way um, uh, in, the uh, his, his, yeah. in the interrogation room, his dialogue with Claw. He doesn't know. Like he's totally in the dark, right? And so he bears the arc of his character in the movie. Seems that he bears some of the, you know, the, the same view of Wakanda, right? He 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 doesn't know. He has no idea. What does he say? Uh, uh, t-shirts, cool t-shirts, textiles. You know, yeah, he's like what farmers. What? Yeah, yeah, he's like what what else? But then. I mean, in, in, a, in a sense, you could say that he's converted, right? right. <laughs> you know, but in a, in a way that doesn't put him at the center. Mm. But he sees that this place has very real value. So, so I think it's an interesting thread line, though, that really Claw, Bucky, and Ross connect. It's like sequential. Because if you think about it, Claw was the first person who came in and took advantage of Wakandan tech to harm Wakandans, to mm. kill people. And so... That's their first connection or or one of their first connections with people of Anglo descent, if you will, is claw killing. And then you've so got far as we know so far as we know. Right. Just in, in as far as canon, just as far as storylines um, outside of some other events. But when we talk about truly villainous, Wakabi remembers someone of Anglo descent killed my parents. Right, yeah. And then as far as Wakanda knows. 
at the time, Bucky kills their king. Right? And so yeah. that's just as far as they know. And I understand it wasn't Bucky. But does, but, does Wakanda know that? Well, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, Black absolutely. Because remember, but remember, like, because of the fact that because they put it, they put his name out there, like they put his face out there and they were like, oh, this looks like Bucky Barnes or the Winter Soldier. Because remember, there was there was a news report right after that. There was a news report right after that on um, okay. Captain America Civil War that basically puts his name out there. And that's how he knows, oh, okay, well, I'm going after this guy because I have to avenge my people. But what I'm saying is at, at, at least those are two instances where Wakandas would look and be like, our only connection to colonizers or people of Anglo descent is y'all are killing our people. Mm. So yeah, of course I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look at Ross and I'm gonna be like, man, what you doing here? Like what what who are you gonna kill? Who's gonna die because you show up? Mm. And I think it's an interesting parallel between <laughs> the distrust within a black community context where we're like, everybody's like, well, we trust us, you know, treat us well. Like, come on in. Why, why are you guys antagonizing to us? Like, why, what's wrong? What I didn't, I didn't do anything. I didn't own slaves. I mean, come on. Like, it was just, it's like, well, every time y'all show up, <laughs> every time y'all show up, somebody dying hmm. and somebody being put in, in slavery, somebody being marginalized, somebody's being oppressed. And I think it's an interesting through line to get to the place where even it's a miracle that they can even treat Ross with dignity, knowing that background. It's even a miracle that they, they're not even just being like, man, we're just going to leave this guy to die here. Because T'Challa says, no, no, no. <sighs> man, he saved. He saved Nakia. <sighs> Let us take him. Interesting. We'll, we'll fix him. So, like, I, I, hmm. I don't think, I really hope we get more of an exploration into, like, broader Wakanda in yeah, the next movie. Too. Because like I don't I don't get the sense that the average Wakandan has that kind of access to the outside world, other than what they. Why wouldn't they? Well, because if you're trying to like maintain this very kind of closed off society, it would be. I, I just I, I can't imagine like you know, I can't imagine that the media exchange would be like that. Obviously, Shuri does right because she has she has YouTube and what are those? And so mm-hmm. she, she can. Yeah. She clearly knows what's going on. And, you know, obviously they, you know, they talked about watching Back to the Future when they were kids. So they're getting outside media. But I got the sense that that's more of like an elitist, like, like Black Panther tribe. Like, let's control who actually sees what's going on out there. Because if more people saw what was going on out there, the realities of it, I would imagine there'd be far more Nakia's, you know, far more Killmongers, far more. You know what I mean? Like there'd be a lot more dissension. And how do we relate to the rest of the world as opposed to this idea if there's really this kind of cult of thought that everyone in Wakanda feels the exact same way, then either those, cause the, cause the other factor too is like whether or not as Wakandans, are you a prisoner within your own borders? Yeah. That's a, that sounds dictatorial to me. Yeah. Right. That but see, like that's what I thought. That's what I thought the, the beauty of Wakanda was, is the fact that the citizens do have access to the information that that things were not being kept from them that they 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 know their place amongst the world and that they appreciate that I, and 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 so kind of every every citizen of wakanda is in on the secret of wakanda yeah but then if as they compared leave. to the rest of the world see i like that the I only like that. the only wakandans we saw outside of outside of Wakanda was, was were, they were war dogs or they were Royal or part of the Royal guard. Like nobody, we didn't actually just see Wakandans 
like roaming around outside of Wakanda. It, yeah, like my perspective is even like if when it's you, Wakanda, where else are you gonna be? Yeah, even <laughs> if you, that's my perspective. Even if you saw the outside world, why would you go anywhere else? Like nothing's better than Wakanda, right? But I mean, we like, got the cure for cancer in Wakanda. What, what? Why are we going anywhere else? And like, literally, no one else is going to take the cure for cancer outside of Wakanda. I don't think so. I really? think that that thing hmm. is so tight. Like, okay, so to to get the cure for cancer, you got to go through the door of Malaje. <laughs> this doesn't. This, this, this <laughs> Wakanda sounding a little like dangerous all of a sudden. Like you know, well, what I mean? like that's not. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they're. I don't think they're censoring the material that they get. Hmm. I think. I think they're cultivating such a culture where they're seen and affirmed and, and there's, there's such, I don't know if there's universal prosperity or universal healthcare within Wakanda. Like that's not what I'm saying, but I do think that if there's a, if you have a chance in Wakanda, it's a better chance than anywhere else in the world. Oh, sure. No. And I get that. I, I, but like I said, I just, it seems like, I don't know. I'd be, I'd, like I said, there's just a lot of, like, it's a big question mark in my mm-hmm. mind right now with where, like how Wakandans deal with the rest of the world, because this is to some extent very different from the comics because Wakanda for the last several decades has been known to the world. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like Wakanda right. has existed. It has had its technology and it's been kind of controlled from that standpoint. But at the same time, like it hasn't been so far removed that the movie version was. And so I don't know for that, for that kind of ecosystem to be so self-contained and controlled, somebody has to be controlling that. Well, what it sounded like to me, the the way I interpret it was that there were previous difficulties and conflicts that kind of galvanized a collective identity that just said, we, we live separate. That's just who we are. Mm. You know, and I think there were hints of that, like with Claw, you know, just with mm-hmm. with him wanting to rob the country of vibranium and not only rob it, but use it against them. And I think that when you see that we've been invaded before, they've come against us before. And and I, I, and I didn't take it as being like they they saw themselves as elitist, but just in recognizing their identity and the inherent riches within the nation. I just think they just, they just, there was no, no desire. Like where else do I want to be? It brings up a crucial question. Like if you saw, if you had the choice of everything and a non-colonized, never conquered tradition, rich tradition of heritage, would you ever be tempted by anything else? Like we see it from a colonized perspective of, yeah, if you expose people to other things, even within our American context, the the colonized version of everything is still appealing because it has such a powerful marketing hold. Like even for us as black people, the colonized version of everything is still appealing because we have colonized minds to some extent because we've always lived in a colonized state, so to speak. But I think if you are never, if you've never been colonized, if you have rich tradition and heritage, if you have the blessing of the most advanced tech in the world, if you have a, an ecosystem where you're represented by by tribes, if you have mm-hmm. leaders and top flight military people defending you, would you would you ever be tempted by America? Like, would you ever be tempted by the outside world? Even Nakia, I don't really get the sense that she's tempted by the outside world. The only person I got the sense that was is Shuri. Yeah, I, because she said, Yo, "I thought you were going to take me to Coachella." You it's know. it's not necessarily tempted by the outside world as opposed to like trying to 
like live anywhere else. It's more of like seeing the pain of the outside world, having the ability. Like if you're, you know, I, I get the same. And again, ah, big okay. question I mark. So I if, see what you're saying. You know, yeah. if, if you're, if you're young, if you're, if you're Shuri, Shuri's age and you're in Wakanda and you've got access to vibranium and technology that the rest of the world has never seen. And you're getting YouTube videos of what we get YouTube videos and you're seeing Facebook videos of what we see Facebook videos on. And you're sitting there doing nothing. I think all of a sudden I just became tame Killmonger. Cause like that really paints a, a that's really Killmonger, that's Killmonger's argument. Well, but I thought that Wakanda maybe intentionally by intention did not have that kind of access and was unaware. And that was part of why Wakanda has been so separated. But if there's like this collective mindset, that's been like, you know, screw the world where, you know, we're Wakanda. Yeah, but I, I think that might be a false choice because here's the two things here on one side, it's either a dictatorial censorship system or on the other side, it's like a screw the world system. I don't think it's either per uh, se. Yeah. I wasn't meaning to imply that it was dictatorial. Well, well, I mean, if they control information, it is. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, absolutely. absolutely. I, I'd fully if look if if it comes out that you know Wakanda is actually censoring information that comes in right, right. in any way, shape, or form, like I'm off Team Wakanda, like right. I'm Team Killmonger. So, so admittedly, I guess I'm thinking like specifically in order to connect to the web, like they'd have to link in, and they can't link in because they're literally cut off, like physically from the world. Mm. I mean, I guess. Maybe vibranium Wi-Fi works a little bit differently. So from vibranium that Wi-Fi is lit, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's a step up from fiber, bro. Seventeen G, eighteen G. Yeah. So I think I think it's fascinating, and and what I what I'm very curious of is now that we have we've talked about the ways in which the conflict internally with the characters and the the outside world and the villains and the threats. But are we going to get more Tolkien white guys in Black <laughs> Panther two? Are we? Mm. You you know what I think? I'll save most of my predictions for the next. But I think what Kugler could play on in Black Panther 2 is what we didn't see in this film, which is white women. We didn't see it. Well, except for the one oh. that uh, Killmonger poisoned to death. That's it. That's the only one we saw. But we didn't see any interaction with white women and Wakandans. I found that very interesting. You didn't see the lady on her cell phone? Like you didn't you didn't see her? <laughs> you didn't see that you, you didn't see that? Becky Barbecue, that's uh-huh. what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was right out right next the border tribe was right there. And like she was like right. She's right Yo, on. that video is crazy, by the way. Yo, if you haven't seen that Becky Barbecue video, that video is crazy. The girl, the, the black she was lady calling called the her UN. Ba- she's on the border, the, she's on the border drop calling the UN. Yo, she called her the charcoal police. I was like, yo. <laughs> and then she was talking about potato salad, raisins and potatoes. I was like, yo, this is savage. Anyway, but yeah, so I, I think that would be interesting. Is what if there is a uh, a colonized standard of beauty that is introduced to Wakanda. What if Wakanda interacts with the first time? Because, you know, conceivably, when you talk about Scarlet Witch and we talk about Black Widow, have they ever seen any other white women ever in Wakanda? I feel like that would kind of be a game changer because it's kind of like, okay, how are they going to respond? It would definitely introduce some themes. (laughs) But, okay, so Yo. that's the thing. If Kugler is doing Black Panther 2, that's just like a massive theme that you have to introduce. 
now there's now there's white women within the ecosystem that come in to to team up with the Wakandas to fight a big threat. If if they come in, what do you do now? That's just internally within the black community. That's just a conversation that it would be interesting to see. What if the Dora Milaje feel like they have more access than <laughs> than they do, or what if they feel like they're getting special privileges that they wouldn't get or that other Wakandan women wouldn't get, you know? I just think that's a very fascinating thing. If we're not going to get the Tolkien white guys, maybe it's it's a different angle. Very interesting. Yeah. That that would be fascinating. I don't I don't know, man, but I think they have to continue pressing on this theme and we have to get a little bit more because in Black Panther 2, after the events of Black Panther and after Infinity War, there's going to be some massive questions. Mm. There's going to be some massive questions. And that's kind of why I don't think it's going to be some big invasion because we already had that in Infinity War. Mm. We got to talk about this next Okay, episode. all right. Yeah, okay. we'll talk about it in next week's episode. But give us your thoughts, guys. This is Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. We'll see you next time. We're getting ready to talk about talking white guys. This is Donald Trump. I'm so excited. It's going to be huge. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be huge. We finally get to do the good stuff. Okay. Okay. okay it's been so black so far, but, you know, we need to make <laughs> we, need, we need to make Wakanda great again. <laughs> but I'm here because this is going to help my ratings with black people. They listen to this podcast. Where's, where's my African-American? <laughs> oh, there's my African-American. There's my Wakandan right there's there. There's Wakabi. There's my African-American. Thank you. There he is. <laughs> Don't scare me like that colonizer. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com/ct.